Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast. An enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome to Chinchilla Squeaks. This is just going to be a Lynx show. I am on the road right now and recording this show in co-working spaces where I find meeting rooms with varying levels of background noise. I picked a different one today and I think there's people having a collaborative meeting next to me, so... I will do my best to remove that background noise, but it's what I booked, and it's busy today. Anyway, let's uh, let's get stuck in. This is the perils of recording whilst on the road. So first, from uh, sort of a friend of mine, actually, I, I don't know, a, a, a well a well known associate, Frederick Lardinoy at uh, TechCrunch. There's been a lot of controversy recently with Red Hat, Red Hat Enterprise Linux and the varying open source parts of it, leading to a rather crazy moment when Oracle criticized Red Hat's open source policy, which takes some beating when Oracle is criticizing an open source policy. And Red Hat have generally been very good open source citizens. So it's it's strange to see um, whether this is due to the IBM acquisition in the past couple of years is hard to say, but I also get the impression that the financial markets are really shifting things around a lot at the moment where um, the need for previously open source positive companies to refocus on revenue is is proving that they have to change a lot of what they have always done. But what is this specifically around? So we need to go back a couple of years in 2020, and I'm sort of recounting from his post here, Red Hat made a change to CentOS, which is the community version of what is Red Hat Enterprise Linux as well. It was generally free, a free version as in cost of Red Hat's uh, Enterprise Linux, which is how they make money. Uh, and actually, um, CentOS was acquired by Red Hat in the first place in 2014, which I didn't completely realize. So that's obviously now nearly 10 years ago. And um, they took over the CentOS project to sort of help them in other open source ways. They also had Fedora at the uh, same time, which they still do, I think, I hope. And all of it worked out for the most part, but then they decided to go to a rolling preview of kind of what's in um, rel, we'll call it. 
making CentOS 7 the last version with long-term support, which ends next year. And this is not necessarily a major issue. There's actually a few rolling release Linux distributions, but um, it's more that it meant that the versions wouldn't be compatible anymore because there's no kind of pinned version that becomes Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And this is very important with Linux because you have hundreds of thousands of packages in, uh, potentially. And this led to forks uh, splitting off into Rocky and Alma. Rocky, I think, is probably the more popular one. Um, but Alma has more commercial support uh, behind it, uh, although they both received levels of funding. But the the complication is that actually the changes have meant that it's harder for them to get access to the source code. It's not immediately clear in the article uh, why exactly, um, but I think because it's it's... It's more that, in theory, the code behind Red Hat Enterprise Linux is open source, but when you don't know what is going into the next version, you can't make it fully compatible. You have to sort of second-guess everything or be a bit behind most of the time, which I think, you know, fundamentally, uh, things are still open, and but it, it's, it's this aspect of um, open source versus open for collaboration or contribution. And I think this is more the issue here in that um, it is open source, but it's not in the spirit of open source and it's not in the spirit of supporting uh, forked projects, which is, you know, quite normal, in especially in Linux. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> And in summary, we're saying that the the maintainers of these projects are finding it very hard to know what's going on. They're finding it very hard to know where to even look for what will become Realm. Um, and there's also just been a lot of sort of um, hidden um, hidden activity behind the scenes where it feels like that fundamentally this will lead to uh, CentOS really not being developed at all. And yes, and then <laughs> Oracle even criticizes it. So now we get to the crux of this article, which is Sousa, who I think are sort of uh, somewhat more European, although so are Red Hat in some respects anyway, um, that they have waded into the discussion and it seems reasonable. They are one of the kind of main open source Linux players, I suppose. Um, SUSE has been around for over 30 years and they have announced that they are making their own fork of it. <laughs> so we're adding to the complexity but I suppose they are hoping that their resources and established community. And I think Sousa is maybe already loosely based around some of the inner machinations of Red Hat and Fedora. Um, but of course, Red Hat claims that this is in the spirit of things. Um, but they're doing it because the Red Hat hasn't been acting in the spirit of things. I think the thing that I find interesting to to know here 
is, uh, so what's been happening with Fedora? It's not really mentioned. I'm guessing it's still continuing. It's quite a popular uh, distribution. So I'm guessing it's still continuing, but it's not completely the same. It obviously has a lot of commonality. And this is this is all important because um, uh, Linux runs a lot of production level environments and it's important to, to sort of test and know that things will work in this production scale capacity. So when you read this, it seems like what's the fuss about because it doesn't really feel like things have changed that much, but I think it's the attitudes and um, the attitudes of a company that have generally been positive and a concern that this is just a sign of things to become even worse in the future, I guess. So as always, which is generally the phrase I have a lot, is it remains to be seen. Next, of course, I have to talk about AI, but this is actually something a little bit more uh, a little bit more nuanced. This is from the IEEE Spectrum magazine, actually from about a month ago. It's just been sat on my list for a little while. It's the AI apocalypse, a scorecard. They spoke to a bunch of experts in the field to find out are our... Um, feelings are our assumptions, um, are our concerns about AI causing some sort of apocalypse. What even that means, of course, is the grey area in itself. Um, I found it, and I think it's fairly positively sobering. Uh, <laughs> sobering that uh, a lot of the experts don't think this is really going to be the case. So if you've been sitting there getting very, very worried, it pays to go and have a read of people who probably know far more than many of us combined and their opinions on really how things are going to go. So there we go. Head on over. Make yourself feel hopefully slightly, slightly better that the apocalypse, whatever that may mean, isn't going to happen quite yet. And next, and I was sort of waiting for this article. This is from Tom Dotan on the uh, Wall Street Journal. So you only get a, <laughs> an element of this unless you uh, want to pay or find ways of paying for it. But I'll just give you the the um, the high end uh, overview, I guess. Crypto miners are seeking a new life in AI after an implosion in mining and. There has already been a lot of discussion that a lot of the crypto bros, shall we say, uh, have already switched over to crypto and the, the correlation, the Venn diagram between those two groups of people is not surprising, shall we say. They've just jumped on the next bandwagon. But strangely, a lot of the specialized hardware that they were leveraging and drove up a lot of prices over the past few years is now finding a new home in uh, AI workloads, which at least I suppose is, is good <laughs> that things aren't just wasted completely. Um, and also that the, you know, the, the prices of those have also dropped as well. It's funny to see that the um, pricing around specialized chips for AI didn't really hit as much as for crypto, although I think that was just different times in the world as well shall we say. But uh, there's always been this this uh, this anecdote that this was something that was, was happening. And it's nice to kind of see the direct evidence that, yes, indeed, a lot of crypto miners, a lot of crypto bros have jumped ship to the next hype train. Next, I'm going to quote two articles here. One is from uh, Casey Crownhart over on MIT Technology Review. And one is actually from my wife, who works for TechEU, 
These are sort of both articles around cultivated meat, lab-grown meat. Um, I have been a long-term vegetarian for quite some time for varying reasons in the past. Actually, mostly at the moment because I just find the texture of meat kind of gross. So whilst I'm on board with a lot of the meat replacements, the ones anyway that don't try to be too authentic... The whole lab-grown meat thing is something that intrigues me, and it's it's really coming uh, down the line very, very quickly. The USDA, that's it, have given uh, a bunch of companies approval and a bunch of, uh, I suppose, setting the precedent for a bunch of other companies to get approval into uh, releasing this uh, this this meat. And it's the same in the European Union. The Netherlands has uh, lobbied for it. I think Switzerland, which is not in the European Union, but is in Europe has also allowed this as well. So it's going to start appearing very, very soon. How do you feel about it? Uh, the, the MIT Technology Review article also digs into the environmental impact of all this. Is lab-grown meat any better for the environment fundamentally? Um, the jury seems to be out on that. Um, it still is a little water intensive, I think, but not as water intensive as uh, dairy, for example. So it kind of depends, I suppose, what meat you're replicating. Ethically speaking, where do you stand on it? If your reasons for becoming vegetarian were uh, ethical, cruelty based, then how do you feel about this? If it's environmental based, how do you feel about this? If it's like me and you just don't like the texture of meat... That's a tough one. I suppose I'd have to try it. And this is, of course, the, the aspect here is that for the foreseeable future, until this becomes far more mainstream, this will be relatively expensive, much like a lot of the other meat replacements that they were expensive to begin with. And now they're quite affordable because they've become far more widespread. And we were actually talking about this in another conversation. I think this has come up a few times. It's like, what will be one of the things in 20, 30 years that you look back on when you're older and think, wow, how did we ever do this? And I think meat eating will be one of those or meat eating in the old fashioned sense. It might become very artisanal, the kind of low scale local, but on a commercial scale, not so much. And this is an interesting aspect of all this. When you look at commercial scale farming, you know, there's not really any love there. It's, it's just a money making machine. If you're a small scale farmer who enjoys the process of rearing animals, slaughtering them i don't know anyone who would enjoy that but maybe sort of is better than the the commercial scale alternative i suppose um maybe there will still be a place for people to do that but for the pure money-making farming if if the alternatives are popular enough and financially viable enough why would they bother i suppose is is the, is the question that you may be asking yourselves in 20 30 years and this widespread wide scale eating of commercial meat is where I think we will start to question how did we ever do that? But I think I would try some of it. I don't think it would really change my feelings. I'm not sure. It also depends how it tastes. Uh, a lot of cheap meat is just not very pleasant to eat either. Would there be similar issues and quality with cheap lab-grown meat versus not cheap lab-grown meat, that kind of thing? Will mass-grown meat <laughs> be any better or worse than mass-farmed meat? I don't know. This is an interesting one. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find all my contact details at christianschiller.com. 
and uh, join my Discord server as well if you want to find out more about how to chat with me there. Love to hear from you. This is an interesting topic, so I'd certainly love to hear more. And finally, my and finally moment is uh, happy 50th, 50th birthday, Ethernet. The article actually went into a lot of uh, interesting technical detail on the the origins and the, uh, the development of Ethernet. It's not actually stayed exactly the same <laughs> that whole time, which intrigued me because I mostly know those kind of rectangular cables. It was a far more convoluted um, adapter in the past, actually. Uh, it, it's, it's not always looked exactly the same. But it's fundamentally been somewhat the same for quite some time, which is quite amazing in itself. And I, mean, I use it a lot. I think uh, Ethernet cables are not something a lot of people use these days. But if you do a lot of video work or streaming work, that kind of thing, you do use it because it's far more stable. Even for just normal video calls, Wi-Fi is fine, but it can be unstable. Network cables are solid. Even if they're sometimes slower speeds, they are solid. And uh it's great to see that it still has a future. We're now talking about terabit Ethernet, which is being worked on. And I, for one, always love to find one of those nice rectangular clicky sockets wherever I go, if possible. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. So, obviously, this is a podcast. I was actually having this conversation with some people the other day about podcasts and what a podcast is. And fundamentally, the technology that distributes, the standard that distributes a podcast is actually quite simple. But uh, getting to that point, which is uh, your tech people, just an RSS feed with some audio enclosures, but getting to that simple file is sometimes surprisingly complicated. I've been running a podcast on and off for quite some time, actually, <laughs> a very long time. And the various methods I have created that uh, have varied over the years. Um, I think I used to hand roll it in the past and I've gone through varying services that were more or less suited to podcasting than, uh, than others. I've even been through a few recently that, uh, I don't know, worked for me at the time and then it didn't work. And then recently I've ended up on Zencaster. Uh, Zencaster is a, is a podcasting platform that does quite a bit actually. And um, especially if you want to have guests on, which I do on occasion, it's very easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You just log into a browser window and start recording in high quality. Other methods for doing this would involve a lot of complicated technology, uh, recording a local audio and this kind of thing. And, and Zencaster just makes it easy for anybody to join, like joining an online meeting, pretty much. You can set studio quality and even video if you want to do video as well. And then um, that audio stays there for a while. That's actually helped me a, a couple of times recently where I had inadvertently deleted some files when I thought I had uh, finished editing and uh, I could re-download them. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was quite helpful. 
then once you've done the recording, there's just one side of things, actually. And you need a lot of other services. Zencaster has an all-in-one podcasting platform and helps you distribute your works of wonder to the various increasingly important platforms like Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations, um, which I used to have to do manually as well. So if you're interested in finding out more about Zencaster yourself, you can head over to zencaster.com slash pricing. Use my code, which is chinchilla squeaks, of course, or one word, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. And it's time to share your story. And that was my uh, links for the week and a little bit of a, uh, a sponsor mention there. If you're interested in sponsoring the show yourself, and uh, I have had a few in the past, I'm kind of ramping that up a little bit. Then, of course, go to my website, christianchiller.com, and you can find uh, contact details there and uh, get in touch with me to discuss what you're interested in doing. What have I been up to? I have been uh, traveling a little bit and a little bit busy all over the place, but I actually have a few announcements. I did a little bit of an overhaul to the website. You can now find my game pages and my contact details. I've been mentioning my contact details for a long time and I haven't always been there. So they're definitely there now. The edited version of my macOS native AI tools is up on YouTube. Nothing really new on the blog front at the moment. I have a few in progress, but I haven't really had the opportunity to finish them. Behind the scenes, I now have a cover for a couple of new books I'm about to release. So I think I'll be announcing those on the next uh, show, though, because I need to actually upload them or distribute them to all the platforms, etc., etc. But there will be two flash fiction collections um, with um, audio versions as well coming out next week. And um, you can find those there. I'm also going to be taking a little bit of time on Friday to do some open source contribution work. So there might be some things coming out of there. I have a few uh, articles in progress, actually. Um, a version of the Dynamic Docs talk I did at API The Docs. Um, an updated version of my AV setup. A little bit of experimentation I've been doing with Stream Deck recently. And also... I've been trying to find ways of digitizing, annotating, editing musical score uh, based on a few experiences recently as well. So those are a few things I have in progress, but just travel and keeping on top of a bunch of other things have eaten up a little bit of time recently. But uh, that's what's in progress. And I hope to catch up with uh, some of those over the coming weeks when kind of back on the uh, home territory and have a little bit more uh, free time to work on all those things. If you are anywhere near Berlin this coming weekend, then I will actually be exhibiting a game prototype I've been working on with my co-designer Daniel called Working Title of the Good Book. I will also be producing some blog posts about that very soon. So that's been taking up a lot of time, actually, and actually came up with quite a few interesting processes, some of them leveraging AI, some of them leveraging tools like Zapier and Make.com to do some of that work. So that's something that will be quite interesting to finally recount all the processes behind that uh, later. 
So that was Chinchilla Squeaks. I hope to be back in a couple of weeks with an interview. Have a couple of things lined up. Thanks to Zencaster for sponsoring and literally powering the show that you're listening to right now. And I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Head on over to ChristianChiller.com to always, as always, find out more. And I'll see you again next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening and take care. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.